into that. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 11. We're back in that. We took a bit of a break. Well, not a break. We were in something called the Disciples' Prayer, right? The beginning of chapter 11, verses 1 to 4 to 5 primarily for like five weeks. And we studied uh, the, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, which was a wonderful thing to do together. And then we also looked into Luke again, uh, but a little later on in Luke as we uh, celebrated Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So we're back in there this morning. Um, I'm going to read the passage. We're going to dive pretty much right in. I'll give you your outline for today. It's not a very long passage, but there's a lot to talk about. And, and I, I'm, I'll preface it by saying this. It's, a, it's an interesting passage. It's, it's a bit of a strange passage to a certain extent. Fascinating. Um, demons. Jesus seems to go from the Lord's Prayer, asking people to pray, which is a good thing, into this, this story. It's fascinating, to say the least. It seems to come out of nowhere in Luke's narrative, but not necessarily because we know who Luke is. He's this Gentile pagan who came to faith in Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And, and his, his main objective is that his good friend Theophilus, a fellow Greek, would come to faith in Jesus. And so he spends his whole gospel just sort of outlining the, the reasons why you should believe that Jesus is not just a mere mortal, not a mere man, but he in fact is the Son of God, and that he died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, and that he lives today. So this passage is really, really remarkable. Titling this passage for today, Truth or Consequences. There was a TV show by that name many years ago. If you're not as old as I am, then you probably don't remember it, but it was awesome. Uh, Three points I want to look at with you today. Number one, storming the darkness. Number two, light or darkness, you choose. And number three, the word of truth. Well, before we dive in, let's pray one more time, if you don't mind. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you, Lord, that what we have in our Bibles is not just uh, the musings of men. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that it is truly your word given to us through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we could know you, who you are, what you have done, who that therefore means we are, and then out of that, how then we should live, especially if we know you. And so we thank you for this passage. I thank you so much for the words of Jesus here and the things that we learn from this. Just pray humbly that you would direct us and guide us as we look at this now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open them to chapter 11, verse 14 to 28 is where we're going to be today. I'm not going to read the passage up front because there's a lot to unpack here. I want to unpack it together as we go through it. So point number one for today is, again, storming the darkness. Let me read verse 14 to begin with. I'll put it on screen. Now, As he was casting out a demon, it's interesting, we go from prayer to, okay, here's a story. As he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and people marveled. No kidding. So first off, we need to do this. We need to understand that this encounter with this man was was very intentional. Jesus did this all the time. People, just Jesus intentionally decided to teach on a specific subject. Everything that happens to Jesus during his life and ministry is intentional. And frankly, it's for the purpose of teaching us something specific about about who he is, what he has done, and therefore is continuing to do today. 
So what does this tell us? Uh, What does this tell us just in this opening verse? Well, it tells us at least two things from this verse. The first is it should be obvious, but we don't really like to acknowledge it. At least most people in our world today don't. There are demons. There are, in fact, demons. There is a spiritual realm that we cannot see, but it exists. And so we need to understand that. So now you might be here today watching online and be like, I mean, come on. You Christians, seriously, you, you believe that there are ghosts out there or there, that this is other world, this non-material world that we cannot see. You, you actually believe that it exists. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we do. And actually, so do you, I want to suggest. And we might look at some ways today where that is clear and that is obvious. And so there are, of course, people in our world today who consider our belief to be naive, believing in ghosts, etc. The atheist would say, look, there's, there's no metaphysical or spiritual realm in our worlds today. There's no God for that matter. Well, I want to suggest today that we need to be careful on that basis. If that's your truth, you are actually, if that is your truth today, if that is exactly how you believe and trust in this world today, then you, frankly, are more susceptible to what beset this man. More susceptible to what beset this man, who thankfully for him encounters Jesus. So listen carefully. Pay attention. I love uh, watching um, shows on Netflix, um, as many of you do, I'm sure. Lots of time on your hands, right? Uh, I, I really, really like cooking shows and so forth. And one in particular... Uh, it's kind of sad because he passed away, took his own life, actually, not too long ago. Anthony Bourdain, his TV show is called Parts Unknown, right? And I was watching a show just a couple of weeks ago, and it reminded me of this passage and what we're in today and what we're talking about because he's in Jamaica, right? And he's actually having a meal, and while he's having this meal, there is this Jamaican man whose eyes are literally bloodshot, and he's like blabbering on and very clearly very clearly, this man is possessed. He's possessed. In Jamaica and many other countries of the world, they believe, really, really do believe in demons and the demonic realm. In fact, they entertain it. They welcome it as this man had. I mean, you can even see on Anthony Bourdain's face as this man is you know, they're trying to have a meal, and this man is going on and on, and Anthony's getting a little bit worried and going like, what is going on here? He can see that there's a problem. And so it's, much, it's not really that subtle really here in this. Uh, maybe it is in that world. It's not so subtle, but it's, it's very subtle how Satan, how the demonic world operates in our world here today, uh, in our more cultured and sanitized North American and urban environs. Satan may no longer hold the power he once had since the cross, but he's also no dummy. He's not dumb. He still holds power. He appears more overtly in areas where the occult and, quite frankly, openness to the demonic exists. He still does to this day. But in our more developed and, frankly, wealthier parts of the world... He knows that we don't think we need God or Jesus that much, so he's happy to simply tempt us with more and more idols, more and more things that we can possess and we can own. 
He's very devious. He's pretty sharp, actually. The Scripture teaches that he often appears as an angel of light. An angel of light. The truth is, he's the definition of darkness. So, there are demons. We need to be very clear about that. They do exist. This is not a cartoon. It's a complete reality. And secondly, there are kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. Oh, yes, there's the Saudi kingdom and there are other kingdoms in our world, but literally there are only two kingdoms in this world. We've been over this before at the Rock and, and in the Gospel of Luke. And so here's a little bit of a recap for you for our church, but also for those of you who are visiting today. The very first thing that Jesus does, right? You remember this? As he's 30 years of age, he comes on the scene and he's beginning to start his earthly ministry is to be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, by Satan himself. After fasting 40 days to the point where we're supposed to get the message, he is weak physically, spiritually as well because he's a man. It was a war, what happened in the wilderness. A war between the only two kingdoms that truly exist in our world today. The kingdom of darkness, where Satan and his minions rule. And he is the leader and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of light, whose king is Jesus. And every human in this world, despite what they might believe or want to believe, is under the power of one of those two kingdoms. And even we as followers and believers in Jesus can come out from underneath that covering of Jesus and his kingdom and be susceptible again in a different way, as we will see today. So you may choose not to believe in the devil. You may choose that. But believe me, he's true. Every human on this earth is either under the reign and rule of one of these two kingdoms. And so this is is what Jesus is about. This is why he came. What he he came to do was to expand the kingdom of God. By by setting this one man free, he demonstrates that from the bondage of sin and Satan. That's what he's going about here. And this man is a picture of that for every single one of us who places our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation and from our freedom from this oppression. Jesus is doing exactly what the Son of God was sent to do for this man and for all of us today. And that's what this is a picture of. Jesus is causing at that time the kingdom of God to break out. I love that idea, that picture that the kingdom of God, I mean, it's always been present in our world since creation. But at this point, God has decided to send his Son because the kingdom of God is going to break out. It is a future thing that's coming, but it is already occurred when Jesus arrived on the scene at 30 years of age. He made that known to all of us. So he's causing the kingdom of God to break in as we're bringing freedom from bondage to sin and healing to this broken world. So you may choose not to believe in the devil. I mean, you can do that if you want. I certainly did for many years when I was, oh, the devil made me do it. That was a big joke, right? You know, every time I did something that I knew as a teenager was totally wrong. And we just joke about it. But it's very real. You may choose to not believe in demons if you want, but your denial will not change this fact. They are real. They do exist. And it's possible to be overcome by them even to this day. So stop and think about it for one second, this thing about evil. 
A few months ago, there was a senseless slaughter of innocent, hear me, Muslim worshipers in New Zealand, right? It was senseless. It was murder. It was inspired by evil, right? And then this past weekend, over 300 Christians murdered by ISIS on Easter Sunday. Evil. Evil in the hearts of men. Where, where does such, where, where, ask yourself, where does such hatred for your fellow man, for fellow human beings breathing and walking on this planet, enjoying life to the best, struggling, where does that kind of evil come from? Where does such hatred and evil come from? The Bible says it comes, it comes from the heart of man, right? The heart of all of us because we are all born in sin and we are capable of evil. This is fun so far, right? It's truth. We have to look at it. It's absolutely true. We're, we're all capable of this. So now we don't like to hear it. I understand. I don't like to preach it, quite frankly. Well, I'll take that back. It's necessary because that's where we are in Luke's gospel today. This is what God decided Luke needed to talk about and write about because this is what Jesus had to deal with and make sure they understood what he was dealing with on that day and we too today. Now, we don't, of course, like to hear it. Of course not. And that is why we are going to see some of the responses that we see in the text today. There are essentially two examples of exactly what people do today with the demonic, with demons, the metaphysical or the spiritual realm, with evil, and of course, ultimately with Jesus. So there's this event that takes place when Jesus encounters this man. It's a real event who's possessed by a demon that, was, that has rendered him mute. So the, 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 it's a mute demon. He's rendered him so that the man can't even speak. We don't know how long, but the impression would be quite some time. It would appear that everybody knew that he was mute and that he was possessed by a demon. So when the demon had got out, the mute man, mute man spoke, and we see in the text here the people marveled. That gives you a hint right there. They were like, that's a miracle? But they marveled. They all marveled. In other words, they're, they're, like, they're like, wow, we, we've known this guy. He's been amongst us for some time. He's always been mute as far as we know. So this is amazing. What's happened to him? I mean, you would think, right, if you're there, you'd be like, that's a miracle. He's, he's able to talk. It's amazing. It's good so far. It goes on. But some of them said, look at this. <laughs> Logical conclusion, right? Some of them said, he, Jesus, casts out de de demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test Jesus, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. <laughs> oh, oh, you need more. Hmm. So I want us to look at this. Jesus, listen, he, he does this amazing, wonderful, merciful, liberating healing for this man. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, the man is praising him. You can just imagine the man is going on about this. He's talking. They can tell that. But, but, but instead, there's two groups of people. Some of them are, are like, no, he's in league with the devil. And others are like, ah, show us another sign. 
like maybe three or four or five in a row, and then maybe we will believe. So it's interesting. It's a wonderful, liberating healing for this man by casting out what everyone actually believed was a demon, by the way. They all believed that. They all knew that in that day. Not just some birth defect. And then some of them said, praise God. Our brother, our friend has been healed. The demon is gone. It's a miracle. Oh my, you must be the son of God. Do, do you see that in your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles open, by the way? Because like, like, I, I don't see that in there. I mean, wouldn't that, I mean, we don't read that, do we? It's not there. It's not like Luke is hiding it from us. It's because it didn't happen. Instead, there were these demands, these, these further questions. Hear me. This is exactly what unbelief looks like. It's not like, well, I'm not convinced yet. No, this is full-on unbelief. A miracle has just happened in front of you. And, and what? You need another sign, okay. It's unbelief. It loves, and unbelief, hear me, says this, it, it loves to discredit or undermine God's love and his word. So first, some of them, Matthew tells us our Pharisees, suggest that Jesus is an agent of, look at this, of not just any old demon, but Beelzebul himself, which was an interesting word that they'd created. Uh, This name had become in Hebrew culture another name for Satan himself. It was taken from an ancient language and and literally meant Baal the prince, B-A-L-L, Baal the prince, which, of course, is reminiscent of the Old Testament pagan god Baalzebub. And his name literally meant this, Lord of the Flies, which was an alliteration which was really understood to mean God of Dung, which attracts flies. Pretty attractive, isn't it? Well, yeah, the dung was attractive. Okay. Not very flattering to imply that Jesus was in league with this kind of evil entity. Secondly, there were others who were a little less nasty towards Jesus, who simply wanted him to perform, perform, you know, do some more tricks for us. Do some more amazing miracles so that, you know, we'll be the judge. You do a few more amazing miracles, not just give this man back his, his tongue, but completely free him from a demon. Now do something more, a couple more tricks, and then maybe we will believe you. They were still undecided about whether or not they should follow this man. How can this possibly be the Messiah? So, friends, I think it's really critical that we understand the peril that these two groups of people are in. <laughs> They're representative, I believe, of many, many since that day and to this very day. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are, now remember this, are participating in this event as a lesson. For one man, it's, it's liberation. It's salvation. It's awesome. But it, it's a picture. It's, they're all, he knows they're all watching. And, and I love that what we see here is the heart of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know. If you, have you ever thought about being Jesus or being God for just a second? Now, don't go too far with that because <laughs> that would be crazy. But would you put up with this? At what point would you go wash your hands and go like enough? Like, these unbelieving people, zap. 
That doesn't seem to be his heart here whatsoever. But also look at this. It's a lesson for the disciples, right? And it's also a lesson for those opposed to Jesus and for us today. And the lesson is a matter of life or death. It's about truth or consequences. What would Jesus do at this point, do you think? Why would he put up with this kind of insult? Like he's the son of God. He knows what's coming, the cross, and he's going to die for these people? Why would he put up with this insult? Well, the answer is this, verse 17a, the very beginning, but he knowing their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He knows our thoughts, right? This is at least the third time in Luke's gospel that we, we read Jesus knowing thoughts, knowing what people were thinking, whether it's individuals or groups of people, knowing this. And so I'm going to ask this again, what I've asked before. Do you understand this? Do we understand this? Do we believe this and not shudder? I have to keep asking myself that all the time, especially when I consider myself thinking things in my head and going, okay, I'm glad Janice doesn't know that, or they don't know that. Anybody else? Like, you all, you all, you're all much more mature, right? Okay, just wanted to check. I'm your pastor. I just confessed that, didn't I? Every time I consider this and the fact that it is true, for some reason I'm always like, well, it's a good thing people who know me don't know all of my thoughts. I'm your pastor. But it's a good thing. Jesus is still working on me. So, come on, if, if you have difficulty believing in evil like we've talked about before, just pause the next time you're thinking something terrible. Sometime when someone frustrates you, angers you, something doesn't turn out the way you had hoped or wanted, and you believe sincerely it's that person or person's fault. Yeah. So here's what I want you to understand. If you have difficulty believing in evil, let, let, like we've talked about before, just pause the next time you're thinking something terrible yourself. Something that you're glad the person either standing right in front of you or you're just speaking with doesn't know you were thinking. And then let's pause for a second and realize that Jesus, our Heavenly Father, knows every thought. And yet... You know what's really different about him than me? Or I would think you as well. He doesn't destroy us right then and there. He, he doesn't say nasty things about us. He, he doesn't put us out of his life. Instead, he, despite knowing our thoughts, gives his life for ours, sacrifices himself. And so despite knowing their thoughts, instead look at what Jesus does do. He says this in the last part of 17 and 18. He said, every kingdom, decides to teach a little bit of a lesson here, divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For I say that I cast out demons, if, for you say that I cast out demons by, El, by Beelzebub. Well, 
So Jesus knows their thoughts, that they're unbelieving, they're demanding something else, and he goes right to the heart of it, doesn't he? It's about kingdoms like we've said so far. And now to answer the question, what does Jesus do with these unbelieving critics? Well, put simply, he's gracious, he's merciful, because he tries to reason with them rather than just obliterate them. That's a, that's a lot of grace and mercy. He essentially says that what they're saying makes absolutely no sense. He, he wants to reason. He wants to argue this out with you. Why? He wants you to believe and trust in him. I love this about him. It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. He says, surely you understand. Listen, you understand that no kingdom that is divided against itself can possibly stand. It would make, it would make no sense whatsoever that, at all if Satan were to give me the power to divide his own kingdom against himself. It's just not logical. And they, I mean, you must, most of them were standing there going, that makes perfect sense. You must be the savior. No. <laughs> but, but he takes the time to, to argue with them. And then he adds this, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom does your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then listen, look, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hmm. So he, he more or less, come on, let's get to the punchline here. He more or less accuses them of being hypocritical, right? <laughs> like they're hypocrites. But he still loves them. They have their own exorcists, and he's simply asking them why they don't judge their own the way they're judging him. But then he adds, but it is by, I love this, the finger of God. It's by the finger of God. He's now responding to those who are asking for another sign, and he's saying this, here's your sign. I've already given you the sign and healing of this man and casting out the demon from this man. But here's your sign. How is it that I'm casting out demons? How could I possibly do that unless I am sovereign over them? Over evil itself. Ask yourself that question. I can just imagine the silence. It's just like here right now. It would have been very silent, don't you think? It's shocking what he's saying. It's beautiful also. He's essentially asking them, so who, at the end of the day, is sovereign over demons, the demonic, but God himself? Hello. It's a very clear reference, and they would have known it. They would know to the finger of God in Exodus. They would have, they would have remembered that from Exodus, and they knew that that was truly the finger of God. Jesus says, that's me, and therefore, listen, the kingdom of God has come upon you. You remember the Exodus? You remember the finger of God? Remember that story? We don't have time to go into it today, but they did. Jesus is always referring to the story of God, always referring to Scripture to support everything he says and does. But he goes on. He still lovingly wants to convince them. He goes on in verses 21 and 22 and says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when, look at this, one stronger 
then he attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides the spoil. So Jesus continues the lesson, and he continues to probably preach a little bit more calmly than I am at the moment, (laughs) but he continues to show them much grace, doesn't he? He just continues to show them the truth, continues to point them to it. He tells them something very important that they should know about Satan. They should know this about Satan. He is strong relative to you. It's a very strong angel who has been cast down, yes. He's strong relative to us without Christ and His Holy Spirit to give us the strength to resist Him. And the truth is, He is armed to the teeth. And he does not wish to give up the souls of those who are under his dominion, who are part of his kingdom. He will fight to keep people in captivity and in bondage, in servitude to him. Oh, we think we're free spirits. We're, we're free in this world. Some Christians still think, well, you are free in Christ, but you need to be in Christ and under him and with him. And he needs to be in you to protect you from this ongoing assault. So the strong man here, of course, is Satan, and his house or palace is our human hearts, are our human hearts. He guards what is his, his possessions. And he's so strong that what are his, look at this, are secure. Unless, unless the good news arrives. This is what Jesus is pointing to. There is one who is stronger, right? Look at those words of hope and freedom when he says, but when one stronger, right? This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came, the Scripture teaches us, to storm the gates of hell. Matthew 16, 18, where we get the name of our church, the Rock Church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What? The church against Jesus. But see this, and that was point number one, really. This is point number one that we've just seen here this morning, and I'll remind you of it one more time, which is this, storming the darkness. That's what Jesus has been all about. And friends, that's why we're doing this here today. We, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are storming the darkness. How? By proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is. So that's point number one. He now goes on to point number two, light or darkness you choose. It's at this point where it goes on, and verse 23 says this. Jesus just lays it out very simply, very simply. Look at these te- this text. Whoever is not with me is against me. With me, against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Black and white, no middle ground, is there? There's no middle kingdom. We saw this on Palm Sunday, didn't we? We saw this in in our message on Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town on the colt of a donkey, right? And and he creates havoc. I mean, at first it's like, hey, Hosanna, right, right? Like, okay. And then parade kind of fizzles out. He goes into the temple and just turns everything upside down. The people love him, but the religious rulers, they hate Jesus. 
He overturns the temple. He accepts the people's praise and claims that he might indeed be the Messiah. And essentially, he says this to the rulers and to the people in that day. One of two things. Here's your choice. Crown me king, crown me Lord, or kill me. There's no middle ground. There's no middle place. It's either Lord or crucify me. In this case today, it's either Jesus is your king or you are under the rule and the reign of the kingdom of darkness. Either you trust in the truth of who Jesus is or Jesus speaks into that when he continues and says this, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I know what I'll do. I will return to my house. You see those words? To my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Everything's all cleaned up. It's awesome. It's very powerful when you see it for what Jesus is actually saying here. He's just cast out, look at these, he just cast a demon out of this man that was held down for probably decades by this demonic power. But here's the thing. When that happens, when a spirit that lives within anyone is cast out or leaves, something, something must replace it. Something must replace it. Jesus tells us, frankly, how demonic spirits work by saying, when they leave a person, they go looking for another home. They may leave us for a time, but they, they, they start looking for another home, another abode, another heart, another person. So Jesus tells them how demonic spirits work by saying, when they leave a person, they go looking for another home. When they don't find what they're looking for, sometimes they're like, I know what I'll do. I'll just go back to the last home that I was at, right? And, and I'll wreak some more habit. I'll retake possession of what was and still could be mine. And in the mind of the demon, it's the human heart that is their home and home they come. If there's nothing else there to keep them out. But Jesus adds an interesting twist here, doesn't he? When he says, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. It's kind of, it's a little bit like Marie Kondo is visited, right? You know who she is, right? And all the closets are organized. It's awesome. Anybody tried that? Yeah, you, you, we're, we're all suckers for that. I had everything lined up in my drawer for a while. and then it. Okay, it's back to normal now. So no, really, think about it. Think about this picture here. Jesus is, however, getting at this. He's speaking to those who reject him as the source of power in their lives and, and those who want more signs, right? He's describing their attempts to clean up their own houses, their own lives, to be their own functional saviors is primarily who he's describing here. And this is what everyone does. This is what I've done before in my life. It's a little bit like this. Yeah, yeah, listen, Jesus was a very wise teacher. Lots of good stuff in the Bible. Lots of good things that I can learn about how to, you know, be successful in life, you know, and, uh, you, know, you know, be a better person. And, like, it's good for me, right? And, and he was this wise teacher. I, I can definitely learn some helpful, you know, life skills from Jesus. But, 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 but God, God really, like, risen from the dead, you know, all of that stuff. He knows my thoughts. 
actually king over me, things like that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm going to go that far. People think, I'm good. I'm good, really. I I can live by my own sets of rules and morals. Like, I have my own. I'd be happy to talk to you about them or what I think is right, what is wrong, and I could probably correct you on some of the... I mean, you know, everyone can live by your own set of rules. Be the best person I can be. Stop doing some of the bad things. Sure, I've learned that that wasn't good, so I've I've kind of put that out of my life, and I've learned, you know, on my own about what it looks like to, to be good. And in the end, if there is a God, if there actually is a God, well, I'll let the chips fall where they may. I mean... You know, when I compare myself to other people, Jesus' answer to that is this. Then it goes, the demon. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits. Hmm. More evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, I'm a little bit older than many of you in this room. <laughs> okay, not that old. But, but I've gone through a few, you know, self-reclamation projects over the years, okay? So I can tell you it goes well for a while. Like, there are times it's like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> like, I'm on this. Like, look at me. I'm running, you know, a little bit. And, you know, and then same things come back, don't they? Don't they? Especially when it's in my own strength and, and like, my own mind, I got this figured out. This is interesting. When the demon returns to the house, it finds it swept, this is in the story here, and and put in order. But what's the problem? There's nothing in that house. Spiritually, it's empty. The heart is empty. The heart has not been changed. The heart has been swept up a little bit. You know, it's cleaned up its act a little bit. Things have been tidied up a bit. But the house is spiritually dead. It's empty void. So what does that demon do? He goes and gets a few of his buddies and says, clean house. (laughs) There's lots of room. Come. And look at what Jesus says. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The last state of that person is worse than the first. Many years ago, I spent uh, three years uh, in full-time ministry at Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver. Um, and uh, one of the accusations about the ministry sometimes was, you know, like, uh, you know, well, why do you, why do you force people to, to sit through a sermon? You know, hear the Word of God before you feed them, you know, you Christians. Like, what are you doing there, right? And even some of the, 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 the men and women who would come to the meals and, and uh, they would come to the, the, the service first and they would hear the gospel. They would call it the gospel, right? We had to get our gospel before they'd feed us, right? Before serving them a meal. So what was interesting, though, is, is that we, we not only got criticism at Union Gospel Mission from people outside the church for doing that, it was actually a politician in Vancouver whose name I won't mention who went on radio saying, that's really, like, that's terrible what they do making people sit through a Christian message before they feed them, right? But friends, that criticism also came from inside the church. And it's sad, really, even today, how those in the church, those who've adopted the view of our secular, progressive culture, that social justice is the only and most righteous thing to do, and that it is what Jesus primarily called us to do. And then they criticize those who believe that, no, actually the proclamation of the gospel, the need for sinners to repent, 
and be saved is the only way to be truly not just renovated, but resurrected to new life. And that is the way of Jesus. So it reminds me of something that Jeff Christofferson in his book Kingdom First said, that at any given time we are doing either one of two things. We either are expanding the kingdom of darkness by what we're doing, or we're expanding the kingdom of God by what we're doing. There's no middle or neutral kingdom here. So, friends, the only thing that can protect your old, dead, and sinful heart is a new heart, and that is what Jesus gives us, a new heart that is fully occupied that day forward by the Holy Spirit of God. It is He who saves us. It is He who protects us until the day we die. Without Him, we cannot escape the kingdom of darkness. We, We can still be influenced by it as believers in Christ, but we cannot be possessed by it. Amen? the influence still takes away our joy and it takes away our effectiveness of the proclamation of the gospel and the blessing of others. So we mustn't ever forget that. Without him, we cannot escape this darkness. So do you notice something about this appeal by Jesus here? Eternity is certainly in view, but Jesus is not specifically warning them that they're going to hell, is he, really, at this point? No. I mean, you could suggest that it's implied, sure, but he's actually saying this. He's actually saying this in the kindest possible way, in the the most beautiful gospel appeal possible. He's saying this, believe the truth. I am the truth, the way, and the life. Come unto me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Believe in the truth, or... Choose your own consequences. Choose your own consequences. So we do choose, don't we? We all do. Jesus chooses us, chooses to come and to die for you and for me, to set us free from captivity and bondage. We can truly receive him or choose the consequences. And so finally today, point number three is this, the word of truth. I mean... I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been present on that day. I would have loved to have been present on many days when Jesus was doing what he did. But I would love to be there to just to see the things that were being said, to hear him preach this message, to preach truth into people's lives, but then to hear this woman speak up. It's awesome. It says in verse 27 and 28, And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed is is your mother. And the breast which you nursed. But he said to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I I find this such an interesting conclusion to the story, really. It's a little like someone who gives a preacher a compliment after a sermon, right? doesn't happen much, but it's a good thing, right? But really, it's, it's a woman who's just seen, listen, she's just seen the Son of God, Jesus, in the flesh, miraculously cast a demon out of this man and heal him, free him, and then defend himself and his action against terrible accusations that these people are making, 
Not just accusations, but like, show us more, show us more tricks. Teaching boldly about the spiritual realm and then demonstrating clearly who is the stronger one. And she's simply in this, in this story and in this picture praising God that he was in fact born. Jesus' answer, it's not a rebuke of this woman. It's not a rebuke at all. Nor is it the humble reply of any preacher worth his salt to give credit to where credit is due. But Jesus wants her and everyone listening to understand this. He wants her and us to understand this. Yes, his mother, the Virgin Mary, did just that. Remember? She heard the word of God come to her and tell her she would bear God's son. Her response was, humbly, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Also found in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She submitted herself at that moment and the rest of her life to accepting the word of God over her. And that is how those who have had their hearts renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, those who have had the houses of their hearts renovated, that is what gives evidence, listen, to the reality that they are part of the kingdom of God and that Jesus is their king now and forever. That's their testimony. We hear the word of God. We, we, we have questions, but in the end, we don't doubt it. We don't question it, divide over it for sure. No, we give our hearts and lives to the gospel of the kingdom. A work begins in our hearts that isn't even by us. It's by the Holy Spirit of God, and he begins this work in us. So remember this as, as we close today about the gospel. Remember this. We are, first of all, saved from the very penalty of sin first, right? That's the first. There is a penalty. There's a cost to our sin. Jesus paid that cost on the Christ. And then we are being saved, It's a continual salvation in our lives from the power of sin every day by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. We know that, right? As Christians, we we, we cannot be possessed any longer. That's good news, amen? We, We can't be possessed by demonic activity, but we certainly can be, what's the other word? Oppressed, held down. giving our hearts over to idols who return as soon as we think we're getting somewhere in our faith, whether idols, listen, of comfort, of pleasure, of sex, money, material possession, our kids, grandkids, the list goes on. None of these will ultimately satisfy our hearts, but we can give ourselves to them. And friends, hear this. At the end of the day, what this passage that we've been considering today is really all about is this. It's about Jesus. Purely, purely, and simply about Christ. Jesus is, listen, the only answer to whatever idols, whatever oppression, whatever sickness, whatever addiction, whatever slavery, brokenness that every one of us has or continues to struggle with. Jesus is the answer. These are, I know, easy words to say, but they need to be repeated. Apparently, I need to hear them repeatedly. Do you need that encouragement? Do you hear them every day? Well, you are hearing them. Jesus only is enough. Jesus only is enough, I want to say. He is the strong one who is defeated once and for all eternity, Satan and his minions. That's my preferred word for them. He has sent his son to live in us and 
He is the one who knows best, best what your house, your heart needs so that you will truly flourish in this life. So listen. Listen to him and him alone. How are you going to do that? Right here. It's, it's remarkable what he's given to us. I have to remind myself of this all the time. You will find the good news, the best advice ever for life, right there in that collection of books inspired by the Holy Spirit of God who points us directly to Christ. It's right here. It's right here. Pray with me, would you?